Praise the Lord. Are you thankful for that this morning? Man, I love that song. Uh, For those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Chad, and I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to you this morning as we continue our our study through the book of Philippians. And I just want to open in a word of prayer and thank God again for the gift of his son and that our debt is paid in full. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this day, Lord. And I just thank you for your word and the grace that you poured out on us. Father, we are so unworthy, yet you chose to send your son to die for us so that our debt could be paid in full. And so that we could be free to live for you and for your honor and glory. And so I just pray this morning that you would use your word in a great way, Lord, and that we would seek to follow the example of your son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are in the book of Philippians. So if you guys would like to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We've been going through the book of Philippians. This is, I think, our third week in the book of Philippians. We've been talking about real joy, about having real joy in Christ. So I pray, hopefully, you've been enjoying the sermon series so far. If not, then I guess you have myself and Rob to blame for that. But Lord willing, you're enjoying God's word as we go through it. But Philippians 2, chapters, or verses 1 through, or verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to read these verses and then we're going to, then we'll dig in. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. And as we go through this, this passage, you can see there is so much to go through. And I think that Pastor Josh potentially gave me this passage so that I'd preach really long and then he, you guys would be thinking his messages are short next week. <laughs> no, just kidding. He didn't, he didn't offer me any money to do that or anything. I'm just kidding. If, if we're honest, I've also preached long before. So we're just going to try and hit the high points as we go through this and just see what God would teach us as we seek to live lives that are truly joyful. All right, and as we think about trying to live joyful lives, right? The world is often trying to sell us a false reality of joy, correct? A false reality of happiness. And their, their message to us is if we focus on ourselves, if we look to ourselves and we focus on us, 
then we'll be happy. If we just get this one thing, right? And this is a whole, like, business of commercials, if you've watched commercials, right? Like, if you watch commercials, they try and sell you on the fact that if you get this one thing, your life is set, right? I mean, if you've watched a Jeep commercial, right? Like, if you, you think if you buy a Jeep, that next thing you know, the next day you're going to be driving on top of a mountain, right? We live in Iowa. You're not going to be driving on a mountain unless you drive all the way to Colorado, okay? And, uh, and to be honest, I'm guessing most of the places that they show those Jeeps driving, you're probably not allowed to drive there, all right? It's not practical for you to be driving on, on where they're showing it, all right? Now, it may be fun to have a Jeep, and you, my, my father-in-law has a Jeep, and he has a lot of fun with it. So you can still have fun with a Jeep in Iowa, but it's not going to set your life up for, like, you're not going to be, you know, life's great from here on out. The, the commercials that have been most directed at me from all my life, unfortunately, and I have to admit this, are the Just for Men commercials. All right? And so I have to be honest. I have gray hair. All right? I'm not trying to deny that fact. And I've had gray hair since I was 16. All right? It is a burden to deal with getting gray hair and acne at the same time. That, right? I mean... Most people, they don't have a marketing campaign built for, like, Clearasil and Just for Men. They don't get a bundle deal if you buy both, because I was probably, like, one of two people that struggled with that. But, right, if you watch a Just for Men commercial, you're like, dude, look at this guy. He's got gray hair. He doesn't have a girlfriend. It's a horrible job. His car doesn't work, and he can't do anything right. But you know what? If you just spend five minutes in the shower and put in some of this stuff and make your hair brown, which my hair used to be brown, uh, then all of a sudden you're going to have like an amazing life. All the girls will want to come talk to you. Your, your job is automatically going to improve and you're going to be good at sports somehow because you just colored your hair. <laughs> this is what they try and sell me. Fortunately, I didn't fall for it when I was young, mainly because as a 16-year-old or 18-year-old in college, I couldn't bring myself to go into Walmart and buy just for men, all right? I was too embarrassed, all right? And besides, look, I mean, I have a beautiful wife. I never colored my hair, right? And I think she married me for who I am, not just because I will always look older than her, all right? <laughs> and I, the Lord's provided me a good job, six beautiful kids. I drive a Kia Spectra, five-speed manual with a functioning moonroof. So, I mean, the commercial is complete lie. All right, but I say all this in jest because this is what people try and get us to buy into. And if we're honest, we often buy into that message. Not completely, maybe not as ridiculous as we just portrayed, but we often buy into the fact that if I focus on myself and I meet all the things that I want and I get everything I want, then I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be full of joy. Nothing could be further than the truth. And Paul lays this out. And he starts to build his case. And we're going to look at three things in ways that the big idea through that we're going to see through this passage is that joy comes through having the mind of Christ. Joy does not come through focusing on yourself. Joy comes through having the mind of Christ and trusting everything to God and focusing on others. And we're going to see the joy through, through unity through Christ. We're going to see it in in our humility, having humility like Christ, and we're also going to see it in, in the end as we, in the exaltation of Christ. We have joy in all of these things. And so let's look at what Paul writes 
to the Philippian church. If you remember when he wrote at the beginning, we talked about this, that he had so much joy when he remembered them, right? He said, I, when I write to you or in my prayers, I always make my prayer for you with joy. So he had great joy in the Philippian church. Yet, he says this as he comes through. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love or any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. And he starts to build his case and he's saying there is more to be done. And what he goes on to, to build a case for is unity. Unity within the church. Not uniformity, not everybody being exactly the same, but everybody being unified in purpose and of mind. And that first verse, as you see it, he says, some of your versions say, if you read in the ESV, it says, if there's any encouragement in Christ. He is not saying, I don't know if there's any encouragement in Christ, but if there is, he is saying, because there is encouragement in Christ. It would be maybe better translated, since there is an encouragement in Christ. Since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the spirit, and it's since there is affection and sympathy. He had just been building up that case even last week as we talked about letting your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And so it's building, he's saying, he's giving these statements because this is true. Because all of these things are true, this is why I'm going to say what I say to you next. It's almost like when you hear a mom talk to one of her children building, building the case, obvious, asking obvious questions or af, asking questions where the obvious answer is yes. Like, you know, and especially if you've just refused to help your mother do something, said, hey, did I buy your clothes? Yes, maybe. You're right. Did I wash your clothes? Oh, okay, yes. Did I dry your clothes? Eh, yes. Then it's not too much to ask for you to fold your clothes and put them away. All right, and Moms do it way better than I just did it right there. That's why I'm not a mom. All right. But right, they ask all these questions and they're not saying maybe these things are true. They're saying, you know, these things are true. And because these things are true, this is what you need to do. All right. There is encouragement in Christ. And we could spend all morning talking about the encouragement in Christ. The fact that Jesus, right, he spent so much time in the upper room in John encouraging his disciples telling them, hey, in me you will have peace, not as the world has peace, or gives peace, but I give you peace that will last. And he told them, and he continued to reiterate the truth of that fact. There is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love. There is comfort in being loved by God, and there is comfort from that love that continues to help us. There is participation or help, fellowship through the Holy Spirit. All of these things you could do a study on and just be blessed by going through that. But be, we're going to go forward as Paul did and say, all these things are true. They are affection and sympathy. So what do you need to do? He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And the thing he was writing to the Philippians is the Philippians church was doing a great job, but the one thing they were struggling with, if you read in chapter four, um, there was division within the church. He said, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And he was writing this now even to the church in general that they would agree and have the same mind. To be of the same mind in Christ. Not to just think all the same things, but to have the same mindset. As we go through this, you will see that our joy is determined by where we set our minds. 
Paul is going to talk over and over again about our minds. He talks about it in Colossians when he writes to the Colossian church and says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. If we are going to have joy and unity, we have to have the same mind. We have to have the same mind of Christ. Just like Paul sent Timothy, right? He says in, in this same chapter, in verse 20, he says, uh, for I have no one like him, Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. And so he's even giving them an example of Timothy who had the same mind as Paul did. And that is what he is encouraging the church to do. To be unified of the same mind. To be thinking the same things about God. To be thinking the same things about Christ and truth. Having the same love. This is part of being unified, having the same love. And again, this is not just like, let's all have a, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of Philippians 1, it's not an emotion. It's not like just a feeling of we're just all feel lovey-dovey, all that kind of stuff. It is an actual choice of will to love others, to love others as Christ loved the church. It's a conscious choice and it's something that Jesus commanded his disciples. Again, in the upper room in John 13, he says, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. It's not talking about love that is deserved or um, love of a feeling. He is talking about a conscious choice to love other people. That is what he is calling. These are the things, these are the marks of unity to be of full accord or united in spirit, to have the same spirit working within us. And then he says in the end to also, here we see, and to be of one mind. Again, you see the, right? He keeps repeating himself. So all of it coming together is to have the same mind of Christ, to be united in the spirit, intent on one purpose. And right, that, that is what helps us to be of one mind. It's not just to try and get us to all be like each other, but it's to be intent on one purpose. And that is what Paul's saying, to be intent on the purpose. And what was Paul's intent and purpose? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live it out. Right? He just said that in, in 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how we have the same mind. We don't just randomly, we have certain people we think alike, but other people we don't. But we can have the same mind and same purpose. And that is to glorify God through the preaching of the gospel and through living it out. And that's what Paul is calling them to do, to have unity through Christ. And he, he spells it out, even further, all right? And he says, so do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. All right, and we looked up the Greek word for nothing. And it is what it is. It, it means nothing. We are, we can't, we're not allowed to do, we should not do anything out of selfishness or conceit. Why did Paul have to tell us that? What, do we, what are we prone to do? We're prone to act selfishly. Nobody has to remind me to think about myself in the morning. I think about myself as soon as I wake up. I think about what I need to do. I think about whether or not I'm hungry. Mainly think about when I'm going to get my coffee. All right? I start thinking about myself as soon as I wake up. And all my actions that I take, if I don't change my way of thinking, are going to be focused about what I need and what I want to do. We are prone to act and to live selfishly. 
We are all prone to do that. And Paul says, don't, right? We even, again, in the first chapter, what did he say? He was in prison and there were people preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. It's just so weird to think about. They were preaching the true message of Jesus Christ because he didn't confront them on their message. But they were preaching that true message of Christ selflessly giving himself and they were motivated by selfish ambition. Which makes it even more scary, the fact that we can do good things with horrible motives. And this is what Paul is saying, this kills unity. All right, it kills unity if we act selfishly. If we work through vain glory, some of yours, Bibles talk about. These things are completely contrary to the example of Christ and to the gospel. There is no self-centeredness in the gospel. And, right, this selfishness is the pride of putting self first. Putting yourself above. And again, that is what is taught to us through the word, through, through the world, not through the word, all right? If that's what it sounded like, that is not. The word teaches us to live selflessly, not selfishly. All right, the world would have us live selfishly. To have pride and to think more of ourselves than we ought to. And James also talked about this. Right, he talks about this in James chapter 3. And we think about doing things out of selfishness and vainglory. James 3.14 says this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Too often, there is disunity in the church because we are thinking about ourselves and our own wants and our own needs. And when there is selfish ambition, it leads to strife. And unfortunately, sometimes what we are prone to do, and this is, as we think about this practically, we, we like to take what we think is important and we put that above everything else. And therefore, we try and make it spiritual so that we can argue and boast about this thing that I see that is not a clear biblical truth. And then we cause disunity because somebody doesn't see it the exact same way as I do. It kills the healthiness of the church and it kills the message and it kills the testimony that we have to the outside world. Maturity is deferring on things that are not matters of biblical truth. And so... We need, I mean, what does it say? It says, don't boast about that. Because sometimes we get to that point where we start boasting about the fact that this is the way I do things and I'm more spiritual than you because I do it this way. <laughs> Nothing can kill the message of the gospel faster than that. And he goes on. So he, he challenges us because we need to be reminded to not act selfishly. And then he says, in case we didn't fully understand that, he says, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Count others as more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what Christ has called us to do, is to look at others and to count, which is, again, is a careful choice. 
to look at other people and regard them or count them as more important than ourselves. This is not an easy thing to do. This is not easy to put other people's needs above our own. We, we always look out for our own interests. But Paul is telling us that we cannot and should not do that. We have to count others more significant. And like when we hear this, we're like, well, man, I don't know if I can do that. It's going to be really hard. And it is hard if you try and do it on your own strength. Yet, Paul's in case anticipating this argument, like how can I be that humble? How can I count others as more important than myself? It's like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And he gives us the example, the humility of Jesus Christ. This is how we have joy. We follow the example that was given to us by God himself. And it says to have the same mind in yours, which is, in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying this is possible because you can have the same mind of Christ. Once you have acknowledged Christ as Savior, you have this power because he enables you to do it. Right? And going back to commercials, because apparently that was my theme when I was thinking through this, when I was in the, right, when I was growing up in the 80s, 90s, right, there was a huge commercial campaign and it was for Gatorade and it was Be Like Mike. All right, and I say that, some of you are starting to sing that song in your head right now. And I would sing it, but I don't want to hurt you guys' ears. All right, and the idea of the commercial is basically you drink enough Gatorade, you can be like Michael Jordan. All right, and, and this was so old, this is back when they sold Gatorade in glass bottles, which really worked out well in cement courts and traveling. All right, but you drink enough Gatorade, you are going to be like Michael Jordan. And man, no matter how much Gatorade I, dr- I drank, no matter how many extra scoops of the powder, I don't even know if they still sell the powder, right? Like, even if I ate straight powder, I was not quite like Michael Jordan, all right? I mean, the most I was ever like Michael Jordan is one time, one time, I dunked over somebody, and I felt like Michael Jordan, all right? And full disclosure, it may have been on an eight-foot hoop, <laughs> and I may have been dunking over one of my Ecuadorian friends who was not very tall. All right, but needless to say, we did mean there, and I dunked on his head, and I let him know about it. All right, that's as close as I ever got to being like Michael Jordan, and I drank a lot of Gatorade. All right, it didn't happen. I wore Nike shoes still. All right, it's vain for me to think I could be like Michael Jordan. No matter the only thing we had in common was at times we both drank Gatorade and we wore similar shoes at times. All right, outside of that, nothing. The amazing thing about this is Paul is calling us to something that is possible. So much greater than any person you could idolize in this world. Jesus Christ not only gave us the example, he enables us to actually live it out. He helps us live it out, right? Michael Jordan never showed up to help me play basketball, even though I drank Gatorade and wore Air Jordans. Jesus Christ comes and helps us to follow the example he left us. He is the good shepherd. In John 10, he talks about he lays down his life for the sheep. He does not call us to something that he did not go before us and prepare the way. And so, again, as you look at this example, it's so, so humbling just to even to think through and to read through what Jesus did. This is an amazing hymn about Christ. 
It says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And we start to see who Jesus is. He is God. It wasn't that he was like God. The same, this form of God is, he is God in essence. He is 100% God. You see that in Hebrews 1.3. And so this word form does mean essence and full being. He is 100% God. Just as he will take on 100% humanity. But he was being 100% God. Having the greatest advantage of all time, he did not count it as something to be grasped. He did not use it for his own selfish advantage. Instead, what did he do? He emptied himself. When you take time to think about that, that is is staggering. The God of the universe, the Son of God, instead of taking his deity, instead of taking it to use it for his advantage, instead of just taking it and leaving it as he was, he voluntarily emptied himself and took on humanity. He did that to obey the Father and to offer us salvation. And this is the word empty um, is a Greek word. And some people, have, some of you may have heard it. This is called the kenosis passage, but it means to empty fully. This does not mean though that he emptied himself of deity. He just set aside using his deity for his own prerogatives. He set things aside for our benefit. He emptied himself completely and came to this earth. And it says he took on, and again, this could go so far into dealing with this, but it's just enough to know that he voluntarily emptied himself to come and to save us. And if you want, even like, how does that look practically on a human level? We're going to get to that in Philippians 3, right? When Paul lists all these positives that he had going for them. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had the right lineage. He had the right teaching. He had the right birth. He was a Roman citizen. He had everything going for him to have a comfortable life on earth. And he counted all of those things as loss to know the surpassing righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which means he took all of those things and set them over here to know Jesus Christ. And that example pales in comparison. Like there is no comparison to what Jesus did for us. Like, no matter what example we come of trying to humble ourselves, can we come anywhere close to understanding the step down that Jesus took to become human for us? And even though, you know, I mean, we kind of understand how coming off an amazing week of VBS, you know, seeing so many little kids, and, you know, as we talk about the next thing where it says that Jesus. Um, though he was informed of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being found in the likeness of men in human form, he humbled himself. He stooped down, he laid low. All right, he, not only did he step down from heaven and lay low before God, he also took the form of a servant and humbled himself before men. He didn't take, he didn't come as a king, he didn't come live in a palace. He came and lived lowly to give us an example. And, you know, as we think back to this, we see like the, the idea of stooping down or getting low 
as you saw many people stoop low to talk with kids or even to stoop low to talk. I have a one-year-old at home and I often stoop low to speak with her. And again, that pales in comparison because Jesus humbles himself to even consider us. It says in Psalm, or God humbles himself to even consider us, it says in Psalm 113.6. But this is our example of humility. He took human form. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only did he step out of heaven, not only did he become flesh for us, as it says in John 1.14, he was obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. A death that even Roman citizens would never consider. No matter how bad a criminal a Roman citizen was, they would not crucify those people. Yet Jesus, being the Son of God, did that for us. He took a punishment that the people he created said we would never stoop to that. Yet he willingly laid down his life for us. And just in case we're wondering whether or not that's the example we have to follow, Peter makes it very clear in 1 Peter 2. He says this. He says, for, this you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, And when he was reviled or mocked, he did not mock in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We can live this type of life because Jesus made it possible for us to live this type of life. And it is hard to do, but what did Jesus give us an example? He continued to entrust himself to God the Father. He continued to turn it over to him. So we can have this mind because Jesus has this mind. We have to continue to entrust ourselves to God. We can have this mind to treat others humbly, to put others before ourselves. Because Jesus did this. And he did this and he died on a cross so that we could be healed. And we'll move to the sake of time to the exaltation of Christ. But there is so much. I would just challenge you to think and read through this passage and just meditate on all that Jesus did for you. And then comes the end of this hymn. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And God took Jesus in his obedience and he exalted him to the highest possible place. At the right hand of God. He is exalted beyond anything that we could imagine. And then it says this. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Take a little time to think about that with me. Every knee will bow. Everyone sitting here this morning will bow your knee to Jesus Christ. Everyone. And you will either bow your knee to Jesus Christ in gratitude and praise and honor of your Savior, 
or at the end of time, you will bow your knee to Jesus Christ as you face judgment for having rejected him. You will bow your knee. There is not a question of if you will. Everyone here will. Do we think about that? I don't think about that often enough. Every person I meet in Des Moines will bow their knee to Jesus Christ and will confess him as Lord. And we are either in a public confession. And so either you will confess Jesus as Lord now and be saved and rejoice in the fact that you have confessed him as Lord. Or you will reject him now and you will confess him as Lord on the day of judgment as you are separated from him. This is a sobering thought. But yet that is something that we need to reflect on. We will all bow before Jesus and we will all confess him as the supreme Lord, as sovereign over all things. No one escapes that. And so, all of this was done for the glory of God the Father. And even in the end of this, right, the the end, the glory is God's. The glory is God the Father's. All of this points to the glory and majesty of God the Father. Everything that is done for the right purpose and right reason leads to God's glory, not your own. And so as we think through, as we're going to have communion, just think through. Meditate through this passage as we, as we pray. As you think through this, if you are here today and you have never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and confessed that he is the Lord over all, that he died for your sins and that you can't pay for your sins on your own, Today is the day to do that. And if you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, then today is the day to remind yourself, to humble yourself, to be, to seek Jesus Christ. All right, we can't can't create humility in and of ourselves. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great preacher from London, was asked, how do you get humility? And he responded um, to his friend and said, there's only one way to be humble and that is to look into the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot be anything else when you see him. The only way, that is the only way. Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at him and you realize who he is and what he has done and you are humbled. If you try and do it on your own, you're just going to (laughs) become proud of how humble you are. Sounds ridiculous, but we've all done it before. The only way to truly be humble is to look at Christ and what he has done. So as as I pray and we close, I would challenge you just to to think through those things and spend some time as we meditate. There will be music playing um, and the elements are in the back. You get communion is a time for believers to come before Christ and to remember what Jesus did on the cross. The fact that he offered salvation And this is only for people who have given their heart and lives to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, we would encourage you to be saved today. Today is a great day to be saved. But think about that. If you, as you meditate and you need something to do, look at Isaiah 53 and think through what Jesus did for you as we celebrate together, fellowship and partner together and think through what Jesus has done for us.
And so, I, like I said, I'll pray. There'll be time for you to meditate and pray. And then once you're ready, you can go to the back and take the elements. And then um, I will come back up and close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord, who you are. You, Father, have gave your son. You're so undeserving. Lord, but yet you chose to give us an example through your son. You chose to offer salvation despite our sin. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would, Lord, challenge us to reflect in our own hearts. Lord, to see the ways in which we are selfishly holding on to things that we need to just empty ourselves and give away. Lord, we need to follow the example of your son and just turn everything over to you. And so I pray that you would give us strength to do so and that you would just help us as we reflect on all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.